You know, on this show, we're always on our kick to grow. But nothing gets tackled without the minute tasks and projects that absolutely need to get done, but don't always have the time or person power to do them. Welcome to Startup Growing Pains. And we've got a solution for this work. Use magic. Magic gives you a team of trained remote assistants that you and your staff can use anytime, 24-7 for almost any job that needs to get done. It's very affordable, no salaries to pay, no minimum commitments. Use magic for tasks like data entry, sales, customer support, research, transcription, booking flights, and more. This is technology sourcing at its finest, people. Here's what you do. You'll set up an account, then simply reach out to magic with your request via text or email, and a real assistant will message you back right away. They can do just about anything most employees do, but Magic never gets sick, never quits, and doesn't require HR. Use Magic as often as you need. Only pay for what you use by the minute. Now, here's the special offer. You can see what a difference Magic can make to your business by accessing this special offer to get you started. Full transparency, I've done it, and I absolutely love it. You can get a free consultation by phone and priority service. Your projects will be the first in line to get done by going to my special URL. It's getmagic.com forward slash Rabel. Start delegating to Magic today. I trust the service and love it. Go to getmagic.com forward slash Rabel. That's getmagic.com forward slash Rabel. You know, I remember being at media summits in 2008 when the Paralympics wasn't really still well known. Being in the corner with one of like two other Paralympic athletes, three other Paralympic athletes and seeing all the Olympic athletes. And it was before it was really meshing together, the Olympics and the Paralympics. And um, so it goes even deeper. You know, it was standing in that corner as a little 16-year-old girl thinking one day all these Olympic athletes are going to even know who I am. Jessica Long embodies the success of an Olympian, the resilience and determination of a world-class athlete with a physical disability and the courage to meet her biological family having previously never met them. She's a 23-time medalist, holder of 14 world records. She's won two ESPYs, was named to the 2018 Forbes Under 30 list. She's a global icon. Welcome to an all-new episode of Suiting Up Podcast. This is a show where I dive into the stories of some of today's leading athletes, entrepreneurs, and entertainers. I'm your host, Paul Rabel. Enjoy my conversation today with Paralympic swimming superstar, Jessica Long. Jess, thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's nice. We're both in Baltimore here. I know, at the same time. <laughs> I guess we'll start, as we do with all of my guests, with their origin story. Um, my story, there's a lot of layers to my story. Um, I was given up for adoption um, by a young, single, 16-year-old Russian girl, and because of my birth defect, she was just not able to care for me. Um, when you're that young in Russia you don't really have a choice. You know, the first, they put a lot of those babies in an orphanage and my now parents here in Baltimore, they had two children, but they just couldn't have any more for about nine years. So it's crazy how everything works out. And they really knew they wanted a larger family. So they looked into adoption and they found my brother, Joshua and I, and we were not biological. We were just in the same orphanage and they really wanted to adopt kids with physical disabilities. So I was missing both of my legs and my brother had a cleft lip and palate. And what's crazy is, you know, even after we were adopted um, into the long family, uh, they ended up having two more miracle babies. So I'm one of six mm. kids, huge family. I love it. Yeah. Do you remember those times when you were younger, especially, you know, when, when you had your legs amputated? I know it was super young in your life, but I feel like 
people who have had those traumatic experiences remember those early times? Yeah. You know, for me, actually, I think it was so painful. I don't always remember. Hmm. I don't have a lot of memories. And you have to, I mean, with what I was born with, fibular hemimelia, every time I grew, my bones grew, which meant another surgery. So my legs were amputated at 18 months old to get rid of this little foot that I had with three toes so I could wear my prosthetic legs. Um, but every single time I grew, I had to go in for another surgery, which meant another set of prosthetic legs and then learning to walk all over again. And this happened every couple months. So yeah, my childhood was awesome. And my parents, the way that they raised me and my my siblings, it was so great. But a lot of my childhood is going back to always going to the hospital, always getting a new set of legs. And that didn't really slow down until I got older. Yeah. How many surgeries did you have, you think? I think I've had about 20, 24, 25, and I'm supposed to get one more, but I'm, I'm holding off on that for a little, a little while longer. And, and that was probably really frustrating because you love sports at an early age, and you've said that, and you, you played a little bit of everything. You found swimming, but that was probably really difficult, uh-huh. having to learn a new skill and then go back to the hospital for another surgery. How long would it take to recover from a surgery? Yeah. And you know, I, a, a key thing is I didn't understand. I didn't understand why I had to keep going back. Mm-hmm. And I did. I was so active. I would, a way for me to get around the house instead of walking on my knees. Um, you know, when my prosthetic legs are off, I walk on my knees, but I would roll everywhere. And I loved it. I loved being active. I would climb on top of a refrigerator. I was moving nonstop. So when I had to recover from those surgeries, it was really hard to sit still for about three weeks. And, you know, if I got an infection, it was even longer. And, you know, during those times, there was a lot of questions as to, okay, why am I born like this? Like, what did I do wrong? And it was really hard when my little sister Hannah was born and she was born with legs. And that was really hard for me to comprehend. Hmm. Were you going to school at that age and seeing others with legs and, and trying to understand your place? No. So actually, I'm, we're that family, one of six kids who were homeschooled. Um, yeah. But I did. They attempted school with my brother and I. Um, but because of my surgeries, they yeah. ended up pulling us out just because it was so often. Yeah. And what about some of your, your friend groups and stuff like that? And, and how did you... You know, I, I suppose build that that peer to peer confidence and and build your social circle outside of your house. Yeah, a lot of that didn't come later until I got really involved with sports. I, you know, I never viewed myself as completely different. I did know I was different. I mean, that was very evident. You know, having no legs below the knees, um, I was always really really active and. You know, I think it really hit me this one day. We were at my brother's baseball game, and there was these kids going up and down a hill. But for me and my little prosthetic legs, it was so difficult. You yeah. know, I would fall down. I would lose a leg in the process. But that day, I just remember thinking, I'm going to walk up and down this hill looking just like the other kids. And that's kind of been my, you know, just forward-moving motion, just always just keep going. And um, sports really helped. Paralympics was the game changer. Um, <laughs> yeah. When, when you found swimming, you, you were immediately attracted to it and you called yourself a mermaid and yeah. still have that <laughs> I still do. mentality. Yeah. I what just, was it about love- swimming versus the other sports? Well, I did gymnastics for about six years. And again, my legs, you know, they're just like shoes. First thing to go. And I was doing gymnastics and I loved it. And one day my parents just gave me an ultimatum. You know, they were like, Jess, you got to wear your prosthetics. And they're not, they weren't as high tech. Um, And I remember being really intimidated walking in these prosthetics that just, they weren't, they didn't stay on. Um, So we found another sport and um, I only knew two strokes and 
I just loved it. I, I can't even describe it. And I still get that feeling to this day. I've been swimming for 16 years and I still love it. I'm, you're not allowed to wear any form of prosthetics in the pool with Paralympics. Yep. And it's just a place that, you know, in the water, I'm no different than anyone else. And um, I remember joining my first team when I was 10. And, you know, these girls didn't treat me any differently. And I think that that's pretty big because if they had, I definitely would not have gone back. What about the time in your grandparents' pool? And that's when you said you, you're, you noticed your work ethic for the first time because you were always the first in and the last one out and you kind of were self-taught is what it sounds like. Yeah, I think the water for me was just natural. Um, it was just this natural feeling and, um, you know, it was a place I didn't feel that different. Yeah. You know, I, I feel it a little bit more now as I've gotten older and we're racing and people are kicking. But at the time when I was younger, I didn't feel a difference and I just... I remember wanting to hold my breath as long as possible. And I, I wanted to be the first one in, the last one out. I just, it was like a whole new world under there. What do you think it was about like holding your breath? Because I used, to, I used to try and do that too. You know, I grew up swimming. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. Cool. I swam. Okay, Maryland's like a big swimming Huge. state. Mm-hmm. Just really big. I mean, you were out of here. Mike Phelps out of here. You know, we had uh, myself, my brother and younger sister had a whetstone pool record at one point. I'm sure it Whoa. got wiped away pretty <laughs> But, you know, I, I think it was like, how can you get down the pool without breathing? And then it became, can you do a 50 meter, yeah. 50 yard without breathing? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's fun. It's competition. And, yeah. you know, who doesn't love racing? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Did, when, when you started sensing yourself getting better, did you think Olympics? Did you think Paralympics? Did you think uh, world records and gold medals? Or was it just like, hey, I'm going to keep pursuing this because I love it? You know, it's a little bit of both. Um, at the time, we didn't even know what the Paralympics were. And that came a little bit later, a couple years into swimming. Um, I remember being eight years old, watching the Olympics on TV. And I just come in from my grandparents' pool, swimming, day swimming in the summer. And gymnastics was on. And at the time, I was still in gymnastics, but I had no idea what it was. And I asked whoever was closest to me, you know, what's going on? What's on TV? And they proceeded to tell me that it was the Olympics, where the best in the world come and compete for a gold medal. And I just knew, I remember thinking... As an eight-year-old, I want to be an Olympic gold medalist one day. And then late, I mean, it's crazy because four years later, I ended up becoming a Paralympic gold medalist in swimming. I wasn't even swimming at the time. Um, So for me, I had been swimming on the club team um, in Baltimore. And again, I loved it. I kept going back. I had friends, you know, which I always loved a good friend group with being homeschooled. And one of the officials came up to my dad and asked us about the Paralympics, if we knew about it. And I mean, up until that point too, I had never seen another amputee who looked like me. So the Paralympics was the start of something so much bigger than I ever, you know, ever thought it was going to be. Guys, quality is important in all aspects of our lives, including our underwear. We deserve underwear that feels good, provides support, doesn't chafe or ride up. You know the deal. We don't want anything that we have to throw out every couple of months. That is what Saks underwear is all about. Saks has taken something we all need and has made it better. The only men's underwear that's actually designed with our anatomy in mind. They have comfortable fabrics. They're moisture wickening and breathable. They have great supportive design with their ballpark pouch where you can move around freely in total support with no friction. Here's their special offer. Now, as Suiting Up podcast listeners, we want you to try Saks underwear, so I've arranged a great limited time deal for you. It's $5 off plus shipping on your first purchase online. And to get this great offer, all you need to do is use promo code RABEL. 
That's right. Order a few pair of Saks underwear right now by going to SaksUnderwear.com and use promo code RABEL. That's Saks with two X's. Remember, SaksUnderwear.com. S-A-X-X Underwear.com. Promo code RABEL. Why don't you think more people know about the Paralympics? We were talking a little bit about this beforehand, Mm -hmm. but it's something that, that is now being discovered more and getting more mainstream viewership. But that process even had to be brought to you, and you're one of the most successful Paralympians of all time. Yeah, I mean, without a doubt, there are people who paved the way for me. You know, hopefully I'm paving the way for the next generation. Um, I think here in the United States, we are so about being unique and different, but the moment you are, people are a little hesitant to to understand it, the difference. And, you know, in other states, they're really welcoming of it. Um, I remember being in South Africa, competing at World Championships, and people knew who my parents were. And that's, I mean, that's awesome. But then you fast forward, 2012, I came home from London with five gold medals in my backpack, two silver and a bronze, and no one knew. And, you know, I'm really excited to see it growing. I think, um, you know, it being covered more and more with NBC is going to really grow. Um, you know, we're, we're farther than we were, but we still have some catching up to do. And you experienced success really early. It was 12 and 13 when you started winning a bunch of medals. So I, I would imagine, I mean, as a 12 and 13 year old, I was still trying to uh-huh. figure out <laughs> how to put one foot in front of the other. So was there a moment prior to that where you were like, okay, I know I'm competitive, I'm athletic and, and I'm going to be successful. Or was it after you already experienced success where you started figuring out your training regimens and ways that you can continue to, to get faster and improve? Yeah, I mean, it's a little, maybe a little bit of both. I mean, I think there was always that desire to be number one and to win always. And I think that even goes deeper into the adoption, you know, wanting to be the best, proving that I was enough. And when I first heard about the Paralympics, um, you know, it was so new to us. I didn't know that there was a whole world out there where other amputees competed. And that was crazy exciting. And it's kind of cool. You know, um, I went to Minneapolis, Minnesota for the trials to hopefully make the team as a 12-year-old. And, you know, I competed all weekend and then they announced the team in a conference room. And it's so funny because my my whole family, they're not big morning people and they didn't think I was going to make the team. So my mom and my sisters, they all just slept in and my dad and I were the only two that went to like the 6 a.m. Team USA meeting where they announced the team. And I was just going to, I was hoping my name would be called, but I was more excited to see my friends and teammates be a part of Team USA. And then they called Jessica Long and I looked at my dad and I just smiled and was like, I told you so. And I went and stood with Team USA and that was kind of the start. You know, that was something big. I trained all summer for the games in Athens, Greece, and I was 12 years old and I knew I could perform really well. I dropped time um, in one of our time trials in the Olympic pool or Paralympic pool in Athens. So I knew I had a really good shot in the 400, but I had no idea what was to come in in the 100 meter freestyle. And, um, you know, as a 12 year old, you're you're just not nervous. You know, you don't have any pressure. I was ranked 10th and my morning swim, I did really, really well, dropped time. So I was ranked first for finals, but I knew the Israeli swimmer didn't swim all out and she was the world record holder. So I knew I was going to have to swim my heart out that night. And she was twice my age. Like, you know, here I am. I'm up against the, the world. Um, so the official said, take your mark, go. And it's 100 meters down and back. And at the flip turn, I later found out that I was in fifth place. Yep. And then, you know, I, that's always my weakest. You're not, not having my legs. The start is always going to be a little difficult, but I catch up. And here I am swimming neck and neck with the world record holder. And as a 12-year-old, this will never, I will never forget this. I remember breathing and seeing her 10 meters out. 
and saying to myself, I did not come here to get second. And we touched the wall and I looked up at the scoreboard and I had just won the first, my first Paralympic gold medal as a 12 year old by a 10th of a second. I mean, mm-hmm. that's like a fingernail. Yeah. And I was so nervous. I was like, can I, you know, raise my arm in victory? It was just, that was the start of it. Do you think that's just like your part of your will to win or is like, cause I'll, I'll continue to, to go back to my amateur days in swimming, but <laughs> I would have those same type of experiences with, uh, the, 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 the swimmer in lane three or four being 10 meters ahead of me and maybe going, I'm going to catch this person. <laughs> and I didn't catch him, <laughs> but you tried. <laughs> I tried. Yeah. So, you know, what are some of, uh, well, how would you define your skills as a swimmer? Like what, what are the best features that you bring to the table and why are you so much better than everyone? Yeah. Um, you know, when I was little, I mean, just learning to swim, I was kind of late in the game, 10 years old. I had, because I don't have legs, I had to focus so, so much on the details. I mean, with any sport, you think about that. Focusing on the details, the technique, it's really going to give you that edge. And I would go in and spend three hours with my coach working on just my pinky placement Hmm. or my breathing technique or just uh, figuring out ways to get my hips up. And I learned to swim in a way that allowed my body to just be efficient in the water. I mean, when you think about anything, you know, we're... Swimmers especially, it's it's how fast can you go um, without causing drag? Yeah. And I, I did that from when I was 10, and then I made the team when I was 12. And throughout my entire uh, career, I've really focused on having perfect technique. How important was it for you to have a great coach who could help you identify that? And was it collaborative? Have you had a bunch of coaches? Yeah, I, you know, my first coach, Andrew Barenko, was there from the beginning. He was there for two Paralympics. And then I moved out to the Olympic Training Center and trained with Dave Denniston. Um, and then I moved back home to Baltimore. And for me, this was getting out of my comfort zone. I yeah. decided to go train with Bob Bowman, yeah. Michael Phelps, Alison Schmidt, this huge Olympic group where I'm the only one showing up every day, taking my legs off before I jump in the pool. And that, that was probably the hardest thing I've ever done. <laughs> but it was so worth it and it taught me a lot. I've had a lot of really great coaches and you know, I, what I've seen consistently is just this desire to push me and that no one's going to give me um, slack. I think that's the word I'm thinking of slack or just, um, use my legs as an excuse. You know, I saw that and I, I never wanted my legs to, I never wanted coaches to be like, well, you don't have your legs. So we're going to do it a little differently. I wanted to be on the same platform as all the other swimmers with legs. And I think that gave me an edge as well. I think that's uh, really powerful that you would say that that was one of the hardest things that you've ever done, given that you've done things and accomplished feats that none of us could even imagine without our, without our bottom limbs. And it shows, uh, to a degree, the emotional impact that we can have, um, the, the fear of vulnerability or relating to others or, or worrying that others might be judging us. Um, and, and so what was that experience like for you when you were f- first pulling uh, your prosthetics off across from other Olympians, getting ready to get in the pool? And, and why do you think that was so hard? Oh, wow. Um, I mean, you know, it was my whole life growing up as a Paralympic athlete. And, you know, I remember being at media summits in 2008 when the Paralympics wasn't really still well known, being in the corner with one of like two other Paralympic athletes, three other Paralympic athletes and seeing all the Olympic athletes. And it was before it was really meshing together, the Olympics and the Paralympics. And um, so it goes even deeper. You know, it was standing in that corner as a little 16-year-old girl thinking, one day all these Olympic athletes are going to even know who I am. You know, we're all going to know each other one day because we are a Team USA. Mm-hmm. Um, so when the opportunity came, 
um, it was out of my comfort zone. And I think that that's so important for everyone to hear is, is getting out of your comfort zone. And it's yeah. supposed to be uncomfortable. Um, I was living out at Colorado Springs at the Olympic Training Center, training with a group of Paralympic athletes. And I was still in that transition phase. It was right after the 2012 Paralympics. And I knew I wanted something different. And if I was going to continue, I knew I needed to switch up my training. And um, Bob Bowman and I met up um, for lunch at the OTC cafeteria. Hmm. And I was like, what do you think about me? coming and joining your pro group and I mean there was like 15 16 athletes um all I mean they're like there was a couple of a couple of them on the team who were like six eight and here I am down on my knees thinking we're doing the same workout with the same intervals um and it was intimidating I mean it was hard every single day I could not show up and not give 110 percent because I wouldn't even make it through the practice and there were a lot of really hard days but you I mean you think about it Swimming is such an individual sport, but it's also such a team sport where yep. if I was having a bad day, Michael would pick me up. You know, he'd be like, come on, J-Lo, you got this. Yep. Or, you know, other teammates. And um, it really pushed me to be a better athlete. Yeah. So I, I like the way you're thinking about your improvement. So coaching is really important. And you going out on your own and, and finding a great coach that you had heard about or studied and then really getting deep into the technique of improvement I think a lot of people that are trying to improve, no matter what sport you're in, you just think repetitions will get you there, but you can do really bad repetitions, develop poor habits and never improve. Mm -hmm. So your thought around the details of even getting your pinky at the right angle when it strikes the water is really important. Now on your, your routine and why folks like myself who are far less disciplined bowed out of, of swimming was the daily routine. So I remember being like, what? You got to get up at 4 a.m. to go to, to Curl Burke and swim? Are you kidding me? I'm out. <laughs> it's tough. <laughs> what, 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 is your, what is your typical daily routine like? And I know you're getting back into competition yes. mode for Tokyo. Yeah, um, definitely hard because I am not always a morning person. And thankfully, iced coffee is there and it has helped. Um, <laughs> but it, it's tough. You know, you have to really want it because if you don't, other people want it just as badly as you do. So if you're not willing to make those sacrifices, you know, kind of why, why are you doing this? Why, why are you getting up at, you know, 4.30 to get to the pool to stretch, to swim crazy hours when no one is even awake. Um, and for me, it always goes back to basics. You know, yeah, this sport has brought me so much super cool opportunities. It's, it's definitely this platform that I want to build off of. But when I think about it and there are those tough days and the moments where I'm waking up at 4.30 and I'm like, okay, like, you know, I'm not new to this. I've done this for so long. Like, why am I doing this? Yeah. It's going back to basics and remembering, you know, hey, Jess, you love this. You yeah. know, no matter what, it's going to be tough, but you're going to get through it. Just like you've gotten through every single tough day, every single tough practice that you didn't think your body could even go through, you're going to get through this practice as well. And before you know it, this sport that you love so much is not, you're not going to be able to do it at this level. Mm. Um, so just taking each day, um, and that's crazy. You know, I've been swimming for 16 years and I know that I'm coming to the end of my career. So I, I better show up every single day and be thankful. Yeah. I think that's really good advice. I was talking to a Hopkins player at one point, a couple of years ago and it's playing lacrosse and they go through the monotony of, of weekend and week out starting in January, ending in May, really hard practices. And he said, you know, Paul, how did you in the middle of March, uh, on a Wednesday afternoon with midterms coming up, remind yourself or get a great output during practice or how were you always so dedicated and committed to practice? I was like, first of all, I don't know who told you that was the case, but I, I had just the same struggles as you. But your point 
uh, I heeded when I was a little bit older and I, I passed this along to him, which is try to remind yourself why you're doing it. Right. And, and when you're struggling and in my case with lacrosse, you're tired and getting a bad workout in or don't want to wake up extra early, just give yourself a reminder of like, what's the goal, the short term goal, what's in front of you? Is it a championship? Is it an opportunity to play with team USA and then say, okay, this is part of that journey. Um, it also strikes me that there's been a couple of times through this conversation where you've talked about, you know, your, your, your feeling of needing to prove like, that, that you're just as talented. And I heard you talk about that in an interview too, where you're like, some people think that Paralympic athletes aren't at the same level of other pro athletes and it's bullshit. Yeah. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. I, it's still like, I can feel my, like I'm getting all like, Ooh, flustered right now. And like, it is just the same. And I am putting in just the amount, same amount of hours and the same. I mean, I even trained with Olympic athletes yeah. and I think that's part of the reason I did that just to prove that, yeah, okay, I'm Paralympic, but I can also keep up with the Olympic athletes. Um, and again, it's showing up every single day and just, you know, letting people, I mean, Paralympic, af I mean, the thing about Paralympics too, is you ha have so many different, um, mm, challenges. They're different. I mean, that's the Paralympics. We are yeah. parallel to the Olympic games and, you know, we each have something really special and a unique stories. And for me, I just happen to be missing my legs, but you're also going to find someone who could be missing both arms and both legs and their mm -hmm. training might be a little different, but at the end of the day, that effort and that amount of passion and determination is always the same. And that's the S eight category. Is that yes. right? Yep. I compete S eight. Yeah, yeah. And that means that you're competing against other amputees bilateral. Or, mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And it, it's a, it's a huge, um, kind of process how they figure that out, um, between classification, there's classifiers. They, they try to, you know, figure that out and make sure you're in the correct category. Many of you out there know I travel a lot. And while I do my best work with my SNC team and physical therapists when on the road, sometimes I'm in need of some good workout instruction, especially when I'm doing additive work and also looking for something fun. Beachbody On Demand is an online fitness streaming service that gives you unlimited access to a wide variety of highly effective, world-class workouts personalized to meet your needs. And Beachbody On Demand also includes extensive nutritional content, all proven to help people achieve their health and fitness goals, where in my opinion, this is a big value add here that differentiates their business from others. Brands under the label, some of which you may have heard before, include P90X, Insanity, and my personal favorite, three-week yoga retreat. All content is accessible on your computer, web-enabled TV, tablet, smartphone, or any other web-enabled device, so you're ready at all times. So, workout enthusiasts, young athletes, coaches, and parents, you need to give this service a try. And right now, my Student Up Podcast listeners can get a free trial membership when you text RABEL to 303030. That's right, you'll get full access to this entire platform for free. All the workouts and nutritional information free. Just text R-A-B-I-L to 303030. Enjoy. You told us one of your favorite races when you were younger that you've always remembered. What are some of the other great experiences you've had in Paralympic Games or world records, which you've set dozens of and, and medals, or is it a part of your routine now where you're getting in the pool and you're expecting to win. Is there any like enjoyment or allowing of yourself to exhilarate in the moment? Oh, wow. That's a really good question. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, there, I mean, 
when I was younger, that's all it was, was winning, 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 winning. I, I didn't understand. I didn't want to. That's what drove you. Yeah. And I, again, I think it goes back to the adoption and, and being frustrated, not understanding why I was even put up for adoption, but also loving the family I was adopted in. And I've really been opening up to that because I did go back and meet my biological family. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was probably one of the hardest things I've ever done. It tops any race, any painful race, any, anything. Um, but going back, you know, though that, that drive to win and that drive to succeed and be number one. Um, I mean, it was awesome. It was there and it, it's, it's, it has given me this, all this success and, and the medals. I have the hardware, but it was also at times, times really, really empty. You know, yeah, it was relief and it was standing up and hearing my national anthem and no one can take that away from me, but it has taken me a long time to learn that those medals really don't define me. And for so long they did to the point that I had thought I had failed if I won a silver medal, which is so funny. Like now I laugh at that. Um, so for me, um, you know, being the second most decorated Paralympic athlete in the United States, that's awesome. And going into Tokyo, I for sure hope to add to that medal count. But the process of just getting to Tokyo in these next couple of years yeah. is just as rewarding. And how are you now uh, working on that enjoyment of winning? Are you spending it, spending it with your boyfriend or your family more? Like, how do you lean in? I have the same challenges and I, I probably, you know, you're, you're 26, I'm 32. So I experienced it much later in my life of figuring out how to, uh, let go and be in the moment and enjoy. So do you have any like tips? Yeah. Well, one of my, my coach recently was like, Jess, you are a person who swims. You're not just a swimmer. And that's been really awesome to hear. Um, yeah, the, the idea, I would love to bring home the gold in Tokyo. And I hope that my whole family is there again, all six of them. You know, I'm, I'm such a big family with Jessica Long t-shirts and sharing it with them would be awesome because I do know that I wouldn't be this far without I mean, you know that too, the support that we've had and yep. the people and the coaches and, you know, the nonstop, um, just, yeah, the nonstop support to get us to where we are. Um, it would be really awesome to do that, especially when I know that, um, I have such a big cheering squad Yeah. behind me. Yeah. Well, we've talked about overcoming physical disabilities and achieving success. What you led into a little bit is being adopted and, and the challenges of trying to understand that. And then you had also mentioned that you got over to Russia and, and meet your biological family. So let's talk about Tatiana for a little bit. Okay, I'm ready. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Tatiana. <laughs> uh, that is, well, you know, that's my middle name now. Uh, my parents changed it to Tatiana. Um, going back to Russia was by far the hardest thing I've ever done. I mean, even now, I mean, it's still, you know, a work in, pro- in progress. I'm 26 and I'm still you know, figuring that all out and, and allowing myself to feel things, you know, for so long, I think with not having legs and being in, you know, physical pain with my legs and going through surgery and then, you know, transfer over into being an athlete and then having that physical pain and the numbness of the sport, there was never any time to really lean into the adoption or Mm -hmm. even talk about it. And, you know, for so long, I mean, I felt so guilty for so long for feeling upset about being adopted and then questioning, you know, my birth mom and my legs and really, you know, it's, I'm like losing words here, but it was, it's just hard no matter what. And so when the opportunity came to go over to Russia and to meet my family and even the whole process of hearing about my family, I mean, it's just, it's not at all how I thought it was going to be, but I'm so grateful that I've already met them. Um, I was competing at the 2012 Paralympic Games in London, 
and I was swimming the heaviest swim schedule of any any athlete in the in the village. I mean, in the village, I was swimming such a heavy schedule. And you know, about six months prior, um, I was finally finally opening up with like a Russian reporters about, hey, I would love to find my family after the games. And um, when I was really little too, I, I really wanted to meet my birth mom. Her name, I knew her name was Natalia. And then teenage years, I was like, oh, I don't want to meet her. Like, you know, I had no desire. And right. then it started, you know, the curiosity, it does. And I wanted to know who I looked like. I'm the only blonde in my family. They're all brunette. So here I am, the blonde. And, you know, I, I really wanted to know. I just, curiosity. So I was competing at the 2012 Games. And it's crazy because I found out later that my parents, the head coach and the team leader, they were all going to tell me all about this idea that someone found my family yeah. after I competed. They weren't going to give me that these games were in London. They London, weren't in yeah. Russia. Yeah. yeah, it was amazing. Um, but I knew. I mean, Russian people were sending me emails and pictures and calls. And I mean, what do you do when you've trained? I moved to Colorado. I trained, I mean, I gave up so much for these past four years to compete at these games. And it got so bad that people were following me around in the village. And what, I overheard one conversation with a Russian person that was like, we found Jessica Long, we've got her. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this is like not how I wanted it to go. Becoming harassment. It was bad. Um, and it's crazy because I'm being sent these pictures of these blonde people, blonde people all over in Russia. And I'm like, okay, sure. Like I'm yeah. sure I could look like some blonde, you know, Russian people. Um, so after the whole competition, um, I came home and my mom made like this really nice breakfast for all of my sisters and I, and we watched this Russian family being introduced on this TV show over in Russia, and we couldn't understand a thing. And my emotions, I mean, I just kind of shut down. You know, it was it was kind of, you know, looking back, it really, I never even celebrated um, London until like nine months later. It was almost a year before I was really able to celebrate, you know, the success that I had. Um, and it was tough. I, I really, really struggled. Um, because those were your parents that were on the show, right? Yeah, and, and what's crazy is my birth mom ended up marrying my birth father, which does not happen. I'm the oldest, Tatiana, I was born, and there's another girl, Anastasia, about a year and a half younger than me, and then there's a set of twins, and it was just hard, you know, going through all of that and not really knowing, you know, do I confide in my parents? You know, I, I, at the time, I didn't want them to think I was upset with them adopting me, and of course, you know, it was never this hidden thing. We, I always knew I was adopted, and I knew all this stuff, but being faced with it and thinking, wow, like, I thought this was going to come later. Um, so then, you know, another, another nine months went by and NBC approached us and asked if they could follow my journey back to Russia. Hmm. And I'm like, oh, great. you know, what am I supposed to say? I can't say no. I mean, how do you say no to that? <laughs> I was like, okay, here we go. <laughs> it's a, it was a really great piece though. We watched you it. You watched it? Oh, of oh, course. Yeah. cried the whole time. <laughs> yeah. No, it was beautifully done. And, uh, leading up to that, you said there was a, a lot of nerves. Um, so that, that time, how were you processing it? And was there a moment where you where you had were telling yourself that you weren't going to meet them ever? Or did you always think it was going to happen? You just weren't ready for it. Yeah. So the processing actually did not happen. I mean, I remember it was just when I started swimming with um, Bob Bowman and yeah. Michael, all of that whole group. And I mean, it was such heavy training. It was so new to me that you were just um, focused on your discipline. Yeah, yeah, there was no time to even think about what was happening. Almost to the point when I watched that documentary, I'm like, okay, like why didn't I get my nails done? Like, why didn't, why did I wear that shirt? What was I thinking? Um, you know, it's so easy to critique yourself, but, um, I, I honestly wasn't thinking anything going in. I mean, I look back and I'm like that those, 
six months going into that Russia trip, which was about the process. I mean, it was such a long process. Um, I, I don't remember any of it, but when I did get to Russia after like delays, um, I brought my little sister, Hannah mm-hmm. and I mean, it was hard. I mean, Hannah and I are in the airport meeting the NBC crew full, just all these men. And I'm like, Oh, here we go. Like we're going to get real close in these next, you know, two weeks. Um, but it hit me once I was in Russia in, in the hotel. And the first thing I wanted to do was work out. So my little sister, Hannah, it's so funny. I just, I still have this image in my head. I didn't even really want to talk about it, but it hit me then that what if they don't want to see me? You know, yeah, it's been Hmm. about a year and a half. Here I am. I've come over with NBC. We're about to do this. What if, what if they don't actually care? And it was just doubt. And I'm upstairs in the gym, in the hotel. And I'm, I worked out for about three hours on the elliptical. And here's my sister, Hannah, my little sister, Hannah. She pulled up a chair and she has her book. She just kept reading. And then she'd look up when I was like, Hannah, I just don't even know why we're here. And she would just listen. And at the time, that's exactly what I needed. Yeah. And, and when you met your folks, that was, uh, it was, it felt like a really emotional experience. And, and, uh, and, what was your message to them? Did you have a translator? We did. We had three translators. Um, so, I mean, the whole, the whole process, again, you, you, the whole week was a little, a lot crazy. Um, we first went to the orphanage I was adopted from. And, I mean, that was amazing. You know, I got to see the caregivers and the woman who handed me over to my dad. And there's a huge greeting for you there. Yes. Yeah. And, I, I mean, that was just like, you know, don't cry now. Um, I mean, it was amazing. And, I mean, at one point in the Russian, like, newspapers, uh, they had said that I had, like, adopted a child. And my dad back in Baltimore was like, Jess, is there something you want to tell us? Yeah. I was like, no, dad. You know, they didn't take one of the little babies. Um, so that was first. And then we did went to another orphanage. And, I mean, just so emotionally drained. So by the time we got, we were on a train for 18 hours and then we got off of that train and like went to or and my parents lived in Bratsk and I'm probably saying this all wrong um but the that morning we took an early bus ride to their like village which is three hours away all snow and when we arrived at their house um I mean everywhere we went we had to wait for about an hour so here's our little purple house it's something I had dreamed of since I was a little girl I used to wake up in the middle of the night and just stare at myself I mean any mirror I'd be like oh my gosh like I look like my mother like I mean it was it was so many moments all wrapped up and it was about to happen and I mean there was probably about 30 cameras yeah people were on roofs there was people with you know no way blocking the uh, with big guns and I'm like oh my gosh this is not how I thought it was going to be but here we go yeah. and it wasn't you know of course in that moment it wasn't like let's turn around this is uncomfortable um you know I grabbed Hannah's hand and we mm. got the okay and we we got out and I'm like you know my first thought was don't slip on the ice because that's you, know, you lose a leg you know it's just bad I won't be able to get back up um so we we were like skating down the side of their purple house and you could hear them crying inside and I was like I hate crying in front of people don't I can't cry in front of people. And, um, you know, she came out of the house, my birth mom, Natalia, and the dad. And we had been communicating a little bit through Facebook. And then she ran over and hugged me. Hugged me and, you know, there's this moment of embrace that I was like, oh, my gosh, like, this really is my birth mom. And I was like, don't cry. You hate crying. And I did end up crying. And yeah. I was like, great, it's filmed. But it was beautiful. Yeah. Why, why do you think you hate crying? You know, as a little girl, I had gone through so many surgeries. It was like, I can't cry. Yeah. I always thought it was weakness, but I'm learning to just be okay with showing emotion. There you go. We've got a new sponsor on the show, and it's something special for you. Hair loss. Did you know it's actually easy to prevent? At least if you get started early. 
Introducing Keeps, a new company offering a simple, clinically proven, affordable way to stop hair loss. And with Keeps, it's easier than ever for all you guys out there to keep your hair. Keeps offers the only two FDA-approved hair loss products clinically proven to keep the hair you have. And you can sign up in less than five minutes online. Keeps is entirely there and only $10 or $35 a month. So it's about a dollar a day or less. Getting started with Keeps is easy too. You just answer a few questions online, snap some photos, and a licensed doctor will remotely review your information and give you the right prescription, all without ever leaving your couch. Then within two to three days, a three-month supply of your treatment will arrive perfectly packaged at your doorstep. So stop hair loss today, the easy way with Keeps, offering customized treatment plans with only FDA-approved hair loss products for about a dollar a day from the comfort of your couch. To receive your first month of treatment for free, Go to keeps.com slash Rabel. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash Rabel. That's one free month of treatment at keeps.com slash Rabel. Keeps. Hair today, hair tomorrow. Hannah was there with you along the way, and she's also a part of um, a book, co-writing it with you, that's going to release soon called Unsinkable. Is this kind of capture all of these moments that we're talking about? Yes. Actually, instead of chapters, it is moments. We've, that's cool. kind of how we title it, Moments of My Life. I um, like that. There's like 20-some. Um, it's called Unsinkable, and it comes out in June. Um, and it's really exciting. It's been about three years. Um, three years in the making. In the making, yep. yeah. It's been, it's been really, really exciting. And it's you know a young adult book. It's not this huge, huge book, um, but it's, it's got a lot of really cool pictures. And you get to really you really get to know who I am and just, um, in a little bit more detail and the whole process writing it with Hannah, even though she wrote a lot more of it than I did, um, was just really sweet. You know, she's one of my best friends and, uh, she was the miracle baby. So she's awesome. Describing like who you are, would you say that, uh, like resilient, determined? Yeah. I mean, yeah, for sure. But for me that, you know, I always try to think about that. Like what, like, yeah, I've always been determined and I don't even know where it comes from, but you know, quitting was never an option. Mm -hmm. So when I look back on my whole life, that's all I've known. You know, there was never, you know, you see this little, when I look back on little home videos and I'm learning to walk in these prosthetic legs that are just, you know, this high, I mean, the quitting was never an option. I could, if I quit then, I mean, where would I even be? So yeah, I do see myself as very determined and it's pretty bad if we ever play board games at my house. Like I can't, there are times when I have to just tap out and I so can't play. So super competitive too. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, sometimes I'm like, this gets me in trouble. And my parents yeah. are always awesome. You know, even parenting, they were like, Jess, you know, it's great. But when we ever told you no, like, you know, it's bad. Yeah. But uh, yeah. And so this feels like a, a really big time for you. So you're, you're decorated in all these metals and you've set all these world records you're calling it a, a redemption run into Tokyo coming up you're starting your training okay. again um, you have your book coming out you were named to Forbes 30 under 30 this year so mm -hmm. how are you taking all of this momentum how are you thinking about it and 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 what's next thanks well thank yeah thanks for all that yeah. um, I'm really excited I think for a while there after Rio when I didn't perform the way that I wanted to, um, you just lose confidence in yourself. And mm -hmm. that can really eat you alive. I mean, that can really weigh on you. It's a that... game of confidence, life yeah. and sports. <laughs> yeah. Sports are like these microcosm examples that we have in life. And then we mm -hmm. look back and laugh and we say, oh, I was so upset over a silver medal. 
Yeah. So that's what's great about sports. But yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, so for me, it was just, you know, it was, you're already after, you know, after every game, there's like a post-Olympic blues. So I knew that that was coming mm. and I had felt it on the last three games, but this one took a little longer. And something I really did like jumped into was actually counseling and talking to someone about stuff. And I thought I was going in to talk about swimming and all we've really talked about this last year is my adoption and how that played a part in seeing the difference in that. And, you know, for me, I'm just so proud of myself for once, you know, I don't think I've ever really looked at myself and been like, wow, I'm I'm really proud of the things that I've Mm -hmm. been able to do, um, until now. I've actually, I don't think I've ever really thought that, um, so seeing, you know, Forbes naming me to that list and it's just a list, but it was like, wow, okay. Everything I did, everything I've done up until this point, like it's just getting started and I'm really excited. Um, you know, Tokyo for sure is the next goal. Um, but we'll see what's happening after. And I have other ideas for books and other fun stuff. We'll, we'll see. (laughs) Yeah. I'm a big, uh, advocate of counseling. I do therapy myself. So Mm -hmm. what was the, what was the impetus for you of eventually taking that step? Because I, I think whether it be friends of mine or other athletes or parents or friends of friends, like most people consider it or even make the first consultation and then life happens. So for you, like what was it that actually got foot in the door? Cause also like you, once my foot was in the door, I'm like, Oh gosh, this is for me for the long run. Cause I'm learning about myself and learning about my, my, my place in this world. Mm -hmm. You're like, Oh, that's why I do it like that. Um, (laughs) well for me, it was something like I knew I needed to talk to someone after I went back to Russia, but knowing me, I just jumped back into training and kind of mentally, physically exhaust myself from training. So there was never a time to acknowledge training has been your therapy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I I love that. Um, so after Rio and I'm out of my schedule, you know, I'm out of my routine and I was just kind of bored and I was just focusing on all the bad. And, Hmm. um, it wasn't really, I mean, it was probably about six months after the games that I was finally like, okay, like I I should talk to someone. And I found this awesome girl and she was in the process of adopting a Russian little Russian baby too. And she lived in Colorado. I had lived in Colorado. So it was totally just this perfect match. And I remember the first day I went, I was like, I think I'm going to turn around. Like, I don't need to talk to anyone. And I don't like, you know, it's very hard for me to open up and talk about some of these big things. And, um, but I can't imagine not having it. Isn't that like, I like look forward to therapy and there are times I will go in and I'll just want to like have a venting session. And she's like, Jess, that's awesome. But like, we got to really dig into the deep stuff. Like, Hmm. it's almost like, even though I know that's why I'm there, I'm like, well, I don't really, that, that hurts. Like after I talk about this stuff, I'm really mentally exhausted for the next day. Like, I don't know, but it's been really, really great. Yeah. It's an exhausting exercise. So is, so is podcasting in a way. Cause we're like, <laughs> what we're doing is pretty deep right now. It's yeah. like hyper-focused and, and listening and, and talking through ideas for, for people who are having trouble digesting what's happening to them, whether they're in sports or outside of it, like, and, and what you've learned, what, what would your advice be, uh, to those that, that just generally struggle with motivation say? Yeah. Ooh. I think my advice, um, you know, it's, I think it's said a lot, but honestly, just 
not giving up and mm-hmm. forward momentum. It's actually on my phone. Um, it's what I see first thing in the morning. It's in my little alarm, um, but just having forward w- momentum. And what that means is you may have that bad day. You may have a couple bad days in a row, but it does get better. And it's, you know, you're going to fall down, but how you pick yourself up and how you find ways to take care of yourself. And you're seeing that a lot more now, which is the mental health stuff. And, you know, I'm really just jumping on board with that, but really taking care of yourself and knowing that, no matter what you're facing today, it's going to get better. And just holding out for those good days. And you set that as a part of your, your detail of your alarm? Yeah. That's so really forward cool. forward momentum. I like that. So <laughs> so mine just says like alarm. Wake up. <laughs> yeah, wake up. That's really good advice. <laughs> yeah. What do, you, what do you do in way of like home screens and stuff? Do you dress up a lot of your, like your, your room? Do you put motivational you know, <laughs> quotes everywhere? Are you a big it's, uh, motivated quote person or uh, it's kind of funny because when I was younger that's all I did I haven't done that in a little while so this is kind of getting back into it um, when I was younger I would put those times everywhere I mean I even had this like I wanted to win seven gold medals one time at world championships and I had like the number seven above my bed I had it everywhere and for me something that um, has helped me really be successful in the sport of swimming is just visualizing hmm. I love I love that idea my dad and I always called it my secret weapon um, even from a young age I would just slow down um, um, and, and like visualize the beginning, the middle and the end, and hopefully seeing, you know, number one on that scoreboard of the um, race. Yeah. But cool. even when I'm like climbing into bed, you know, it, I don't have tons of quotes everywhere, but I will just go like shut my eyes and go through the swimming motions. Like there's no water. I'm just, you know, doing the strokes in the air, but that that's always helped me kind of stay focused. Yeah. Visualization is pretty huge in sports. Another form of meditation. Mm -hmm. Do you think that mentorship is going to be a big part of your legacy? Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I love the idea of, uh, you know, a mental toughness coach or just being there. Um, you know, it's, it's, I mean, I'm sure you know what it's like to being a leader on a team or just, you know, being for me being a part of team USA, um, stepping up to that leadership role, um, which is very different. You know, I liked to be quiet and just focus on my big swim schedule, but also realizing that it's so much bigger than me. And that if I can help mentor a little, a little swimmer or a person missing a leg or someone who was adopted, um, that's pretty awesome because, you know, I've had people in my life who have helped me and, um, you know, I'll never forget. I've talked about this a few times, but, um, I was just at a meet, you know, so focused on my race and it didn't even matter. You know, it was, it was just a fun meet. And this little girl came up to me and she had just lost her leg from cancer. I mean, just Mm. a couple weeks ago. And the dad was like, can we get a picture? And she just wanted to meet you. And you're, you know, she had told me that I was her hero and that she looked up to me. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like this is so cool because I remember being that 10 year old girl, not ever seeing another amputee. And I mean, I've really been learning about that, like how that much that played a part in, um, just my awareness and just, or myself, um, myself. Um, you know, up until the Paralympics, I didn't even wear shorts. I didn't want people to look at my legs. I always had a hard time with that. Um, and just learning that if I can be there for someone because I've gone through it, right? I mean, everyone goes through stuff. Um, so if you're there for someone and a mentor, um, it's kind of what it's all about. Well, I think, uh, a lot of us look up to you in that way, especially like the young girl did and, and really appreciate you sharing your stories with us. There are a lot of them. (laughs) We're going to keep tracking you. How can we follow you uh, over social media? Specifically, your book's coming out June 5th. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the book I'm most excited about, you'll see that hit all the bookstores in June. Um, uh, Yeah, social media. I mean, who doesn't love social media? It's fun. Um, How active are you? I mean, maybe a little bit too active. I don't think so. Um, I follow you. (laughs) 
um, I love it. I just think it's fun. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks again for thanks joining. Thanks for having me. All thanks right. for listening to me talk. <laughs> if you enjoyed Jessica and my conversation, as always, please be sure to let us know. We're both super active on social media. We'll accept your inbounds, Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Paul Rabel. Hers is at Jessica Long. Be the first to listen to next week's episode as well as catch up on previous episodes, including my one-on-one conversation with recently announced NBA Hall of Famer. Congrats, Mr. Steve Nash. His episode and many more are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your pods. Also, please hit subscribe when you find us. It's a ton of gratitude going your way for doing so. Shortcut to our show notes, visit suitinguppodcast.com. That'll give you a list of everything Jess and I talked about. Of course, special shout out as well to our show's sponsors, Keeps, Magic, Sacks, and Beachbody. They make this podcast go, and we're very grateful for their support. As always, have a great week, everyone.